What does motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom socks. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Scenes from a Marriage. For your awards consideration, Scenes from a Marriage, the HBO original limited series starring Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac. Lauded by the New York Times as a soulful study of intimacy that is exquisitely acted, Scenes from a Marriage is now streaming on HBO Max. Hello and welcome to another episode of Yellowstoners, a podcast dedicated to getting high on drama, digging into the Duttons and everything Yellowstone, hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo, and the editor-in-chief of the playlist, Rodrigo Perez. Today, we have a supersized season four finale to discuss, episode three of 1883, which did air last week, but we'll, we'll kind of jump on it because we have an interview that kind of dovetails into it with Eric Nelson, who plays Ennis the flirty and charismatic cowboy courting Elsa Dutton on the show. But before we jump into talking about those new episodes, I've got to tell you that Yellowstoners is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, the Discourse, Be Real, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, and more. Like and subscribe on any of your podcast apps of choice and drop us a comment on iTunes as we always appreciate it. Okay, Rodrigo, uh, we've reached the end of what I'm assuming you'll call your least favorite uh, season of Yellowstone. <laughs> to quickly uh, recap the final season, let's just talk about what all happens in this giant episode. And there's a lot. So sure, and we didn't even do the last episode, right? We're exactly like two episodes here, right? Yeah, nine and and you know, to be honest, episode nine is very much kind of a meh tee up of of episode ten, and even episode ten itself. It's not really an end with the bang kind of season, even though, well, there is a bang to to end with, but it's it's different than last season where it was like, holy shit, what just went down, which is which is good. I like that they're mixing it up, but it, it doesn't really make you as hungry for the next season as this one. But just to kind of go over everything after getting booted by John in episode nine, because he thinks Beth's gone too far, you know, they kind of hash it out at the beginning of this one. They agree she can stay. So that's all for not. And then Beth you know, pretty much spends the rest of the episode readying herself for death. It looked like her rip were going to go like any minute, but, you know, she confronts Garrett Randall's Selly. She gets fired. She corners Jamie about his father. She gives him an ultimatum and then she gets married on top of all that. So a lot going on with Beth. But maybe we should tee it up in a a broader sense. Yeah, go ahead. Before, Before we dive into like the specific things. And so I would say like, you know, since we're an, we're we're talking episodes nine and ten, and and then we have the and, and seeing the whole thing, we we have the you know the fortune of being able to look at the whole season as a as a body of work. Yeah, and definitely think that like you already suggested that I didn't really like this final episode, which is sort of true. But like I was saying, episode, more the season in general. Yeah, maybe maybe so. It's like uh, I think in general a quieter season than yeah. previous seasons. Um, which in some ways is a good thing because, you know, if you drive stakes higher and higher and higher and higher and higher, you, you don't have anywhere to go. And then you have to potentially go into the ridiculous and create all these ridiculous dramas for yourself. So in that regard, 
I do appreciate what happened in season four and how it ends. And, and I guess the main thing is it's like, what were the major big conflicts of the season? And it's like, there weren't that many in a way. Like it was almost like a more character based thing because my yeah, everybody had their own smaller journeys. There wasn't like this giant. Yeah, yeah. Because so far, what we've seen, I, you could almost argue that it broke away from its formula mm. um, this season. And you could say because the 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 formula of this show, in the broader sense, and and, and it's a formula that a lot of crime shows follow. And I, I, the best example is probably Breaking Bad which the show is somewhat similar to that end in that Breaking Bad basically was, I don't know how many seasons, four or five or six or whatever many seasons it was. five. And so it was always Walter White and then a new adversary coming to challenge him and take him off the throne and potentially reveal his identity and let his, you know, I mean, obviously his wife figures it out midway or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But there's always just major threats to his existence. Mm -hmm. And by the end of each season, um it, it that's how it was I, in my mind that's always the thing that, that that sort of bugged me people like love that show but i found it very formulaic maybe even more so than this especially since season four you know butts against that is that it was always a new adversaries a new you know new you know bad guy in town or whatever almost taking him off his throne and then in episodes eight or, or nine or ten or whatever the last two he like at the last second you know gets away from peril there's a noose above his neck the whole the whole season, and then he gets away from it, and he you know vanquishes that foe. Yeah, and then he lives to see another day, and then a, a new challenger comes along, um, and that's basically what Yellowstone has been more or less for three seasons. It's been you know maybe season one it was um, the the Native Indians along with Danny Houston as, as Dan Jenkins the billionaire. And, you know, Gil Birmingham, who yeah. represented Chief Thomas Rainwater. That was like season one, season two. I mean, that sort of crossed over. Maybe that the, the happened for two seasons. And then the, the season three was the, uh, what were those guys named? Um, that whole family of like, you know, mobster guys. And then they got vanquished and killed. And then this season led into like, who shot Don Dutton at the end of season three. And then but market that equities never, appears and you kind of figure yeah, yeah, market, be yeah, market equities comes up as a, as a new kind of adversaries, but it wasn't like, you know, even the, the, like who, who was behind killing John Dutton was a element of the plot and not like the big bad throughout the season. Yeah. They reveal um, it pretty early. Yeah. They reveal it pretty early and, and, you know, we haven't gotten into spoilers, but I would just say like spoiler that like, it doesn't really crescendo into much at the end of this season either. Like it does, but it doesn't, it, it's almost like, I don't want to say that this finale was underwhelming, but I think some people will definitely think it was underwhelming. And I think to some degree it was, but I, I also don't completely dislike it. No, I, I appreciated it, but yeah, it, like I said, it wasn't that huge crescendo that the last season left us with which i think is intentional they don't want to repeat themselves right right that's the thing i think they're trying to do something different so this season and maybe another way is like to look at it is like pitched in a minor key um Mm -hmm. relative to the other seasons and bucking that formula of like the main thing that's going to sort of take the family down yeah Um, it's not the family versus one thing I mean, Beth and John are definitely worried about Jamie and, you know, the Garrett Randall of it all kind of comes to a head, but Casey's yeah, I mean, on if, his own if, thing. You know, it's, there's the summer side story. There's right. If, if there was one big thing, <clears throat> like the, the biggest storyline of the entire season was Jamie, Jamie and Garrett. 
Jamie and Garrett, his, his father, uh, Garrett. And even that, like, okay, yes, that's the biggest part, Garrett played by Will Patton. And yes, it does end in a sort of big thing, but it still, relative to other seasons, it was like, it was the main storyline, but it was still kind of a minor thing, right? It was sort of like threaded through many, many other things. Yeah, it definitely was. As far as how it tees up the the Jamie dynamic of it all, I'm not sure I'm as interested as I would have been if if certain other things happen. Do you know what I mean? It kind of puts him yeah, I mean, under their thumb and he can't he can pretty much either leave or come back into the fold if John or Beth allow it. And I don't I don't see that happening either. So it's this weird thing that they've set up that like uh, we've got our family member back and we're holding him hostage to be our family member. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't know that Beth wants him as a family member, but John certainly seems like he does. Right. But the way that they're doing it, or at least the way Beth is doing it is like holding him hostage. Yeah, absolutely. Basically like, you know, we're sort of dancing around this and I guess we'll get into the specifics of it shortly, but it's basically, she like, fucks him over and and it feels like in a way she's gotten her ultimate revenge on him and her ultimate revenge is because he's the one who who got her the abortion that sterilized her when that Mm -hmm. when she was a teenager which to me her reaction to it now still feels just so insane and you know they were kids they didn't know what the fuck they were doing but still it's beth right right but like and that is pretty messed up it is messed up but like, I, I, I still don't think like, you know, whatever, like it was a 16, 17 year old boy back then, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. a 16 or 17 year old boy now. No, I think, I don't think that's excusable. I think a 16, 17 year old boy back in the 1980s. Yes. I do think the, the, the understanding of that is not. Yeah. In his I, shoes, he didn't see another way, you know, they were already there. He was kind of f- told this information at the last minute and he's just like, well, they can't take her and to the city because everyone's going to know so he just kind of let her go in i mean (laughs) you could blame it on him but then if you want to blame the greater thing on him it would be the the toxicity of this family who's been programmed to uh behave in a way that that to to know that that the family is always the more important thing than any individual member the name and the the and that's from their father right because their father who who taught them that and that's why he came to that decision of doing what he did because it's like him's like oh my god we'll be ruined this thing will like destroy our family and the family name is more important than any one person and so that like you know what i mean that all comes from john dutton mm-hmm. sort of like ingrained that into him especially because i mean he basically groomed him to be a lawyer and the one to take care of the family in that sense and so now he, he doesn't always... trust him to take care of the family <laughs> yeah yeah so now that role is returned. Jamie's going to be back in, in the family in season five, but it's essentially with a gun to his head, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, John doesn't understand, I don't think, the full story or ramification of what happened. And maybe that's going to come out. Yeah, I mean, I would, like, I would, I don't know. I would be pissed if I was John and I found out that Beth did that. You know what I mean? I would be really, really pissed. I'd be, you like, you, you blackmailed him essentially. You gave him like, essentially like, a, a, a live or die situation you're a psychopath you know like i think and that came to a bit of a head this season right with like what beth did to uh um, summer summer yeah. summer higgins played by by piper bravo she was that animal rights activist who yeah, had started a, a brief relationship with john john 
for him, it was about like, it wasn't about that, that uh, his daughter like fucked over a girl he's sleeping with. It was, was, as he says, it's like, you know, we just do the right thing. We fight in a way, like we don't care about our real enemies, but we try and do an honorable fight. Right. Like there's, that's what I kind of like about, like, again, the show, like the basics, there's a moral sort of ethical code, which is like a lot of criminals have, right? Like even, even if they're criminals and even if they are deluding themselves that they have a code, they do on some levels, right? There's, there's always some sort of kind of line that certain people feel like they don't cross. And um, that's definitely like something that John Dutton feels like. So I feel like if they're going to go anywhere with that, I think they should really continue to kind of explore like how John would would see her as her true self because she does do like these machinations. And I don't know, by the end of the season, uh, what she did to to Jamie, I was just like, that's really, really fucked up. Like there's, I didn't think it was necessary. And I think she's kind of gone She's kind of lost me. She's gone over the top in a way that's no longer enjoyable. Yeah. I, I mean, John has always known what she is, but I don't think he's really understood the things she does. You know, like he, he doesn't want to know the details, but he understands that she's willing to go further than pretty much anyone. Right. She'll go to any length. She, like, as you said earlier, she like was prepared to die. Yes. And in a way that was, again, unnecessary and ridiculous. Like this is a person who's just way too over the top and yes, it can be enjoyable. Yes. It can be fun. It certainly creates a lot of like bon mot pieces of dialogue, but at a certain point it's like, you know, that gets tested. And I, I to me, that was definitely tested by the end of the season. And it's interesting that we're talking about that because this is really the only things of a major consequence that happened in season four, or at least these last two episodes, it's the Jamie Beth story and, and, and what she forces uh, Jamie to do. And then maybe to a lesser extent, it's uh, who we haven't talked about, but Jimmy leaves the show. Yep. Um, he comes he comes back from Texas. Um, he from the what is the four sixes ranch. Yep. He He's brings got, his new fiance. Yeah, he brings his new fiance. And basically he decides he chooses to um, go back to Texas to be with her. And John Dutton is the one who, again, a man of honor in a way, like, you know, Jimmy's got the Yellowstone brand on him and he's supposed to be on the Yellowstone ranch for life. That's, mm-hmm. that's basically what you do when you get branded, you're, you're an indentured servant and you're in, indebted to them for the rest of your life. And you get paid and all this shit, but you're owned by them. And John Dutton essentially, even though he doesn't have to, even, even though uh, Jimmy's broken his promises like twice, he takes a shine to him and he takes a shine to the way he, uh, the man he's become. That certainly goes a long way with John Dutton, right? Like the, showing like Jimmy really impressing everybody on how much of a, a man and a, and a cowboy he became. And so he basically says, you, you know, you're, you don't owe anything to anyone anymore. I, 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 I let you, you know, free of your debt to me. And the only one you owe is yourself and, and what you want to do in life. And so Jimmy takes him up on that offer and he, uh, he leaves. And, and I would say in general, those are the really only two major things of consequence that happen. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe you disagree. Maybe I mean, I was wondering why they were rushing the Jimmy storyline. I knew that this is basically where it was going to end up, but I didn't understand why they were rushing it until I, I saw that we'd missed a press release that there's going to be a four sixes show and that he needs to get down there as soon as possible. So now I get why they're rushing into uh, getting him back to the four sixes so quickly. I don't know that he'll be the main character, but it's definitely come down the pike. Uh, probably I, I would assume for like a summer release with between all these, you know, between 1883 and the, the next Yellowstone series. So they can have basically a whole year round Yellowstone universe 
that's going on, which is insane. Um, yeah, we should also say that like a lot of his shit has uh, has come to fruition. But I would say like right now, it's like it's just something that's in development. They're hoping to make a show, and you know, so far so good. He's basically anything he he, he wants to turn into a show turns into a show. So so yeah. maybe it's not going to be an issue, but maybe you should just slightly caution that it's not like in stone right now. Well, didn't you Paramount know? Plus? announce it i believe it was like a a full-on announcement i guess they did but i can't really seem to find it on any super yeah no one really wanted to pick it up which is strange right so it makes me somewhat dubious like deadline all the 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 none of the trades picked it up so I'm, i'm slightly like uh, I might even, you know, like our various uh, uh, Paramount Plus contacts we talked to, I'm, I might reach out to them after this and try and get like, is this a thing? Is this a press release? Can you send it to me? You know, <laughs> uh, just because it, it's somewhat and I and don't don't disbelieve it, but I'm I'm just like you're suspicious. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's just weird. It is strange, um, especially considering the last show that he just announced that I believe we talked about. Um, he's he's doing a mob show um, yep. with Sil- Sylvester Stallone. That was announced everywhere, right? Maybe it's just mm-hmm. a weird about the timing and the holidays and stuff. But I don't know. Anyhow, so yes, uh, Jimmy is leaving the show, but maybe he's like as 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 Mike suggests, maybe he's just being completely teed up for this new series that uh, we may eventually see. I was, you know, happy to see him back to kind of prove himself, but it was a little rush to me. And the whole Mia thing, you know, she punches him in the face right away uh, and just kind of brawls with his fiance. I, I guess I get where she's coming from, but I don't think Mia was very good for him. So I'm thinking good for him to, to get out of town for at least him as a, a character. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So pretty much the only things that we haven't really covered are, are kind of Casey's journey. He kind of right. goes on that spiritual journey. You know, we we see he's got a lot of PTSD still left over from his time over, I think it was in Afghanistan. And then the wolf obviously leads him to these two paths that he has to go down. And, you know, he basically tells Monica that one of those paths saw the end of them. And that's where we're kind of left there. And then, you know, I, I, we touched on Beth getting fired and the market equities, you know, war that's about to happen, but that's right. all coming. So Casey... How do you feel about where he's left at this point? I don't, it was kind of vague. I don't really understand where they're taking him. It's almost like different, but doesn't necessarily work. But I, I admire sort of the writing choice of where they left a lot of things because on one hand, it's underwhelming. Uh, on the other hand, it's not like massively like everything's pitched to 11 and hysterical and melodramatic and ridiculous. Um, and they've left a lot of, rather than ending on like, you know, the season three ended with, it was the first time, Yellowstone ended with a, a, a big cliffhanger. It was like John got shot. The family got attacked. We didn't know if John was going to live or die. We didn't know who, who in the family could have been killed in this assault. So they'd never attempted that before. And then they did that. And I'm glad they did not do that again this season. Yeah. And even the season previous to that. So it's like season three was the big cliffhanger. And season two was more like traditional. Season one and two were more traditional Breaking Bad, villain, 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 trying mm-hmm. to like, you know, get us off the throne. We vanquish them by the end. So they have at least switched it up a little bit, right? And then season four is more like, in many ways, it's a cliffhanger as well. But instead of one big cliffhanger, like this super melodramatic one, it's like these minor character cliffhangers. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of where we leave everybody, you know, like Beth and the market equities. We know that there's going to be a a big battle there, but it's only just been teased up in the final episode. Beth gets fired. Market equities uh, woman basically says, you're like, I'm going to 
go after you and your family until you're dust and bones. Uh, Casey has a vision and sees his family. Even the Beth, uh, uh, Jamie, John Dutton storyline that we've been talking about, there's that major thing that happens in the end. And I guess, spoiler, I think by this point, you've been listening for <laughs> a good uh, 20, 30 minutes, I think. Uh, yeah. 20 is that, you know, uh, Beth essentially blackmails Jamie into uh, again, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> Here's the spoiler section of the show. We get the blackmails Jamie into killing his biological father, uh, Randall Garrett. And um, she gives him three options. And one is, is basically options. he goes to jail. She tells Rip and he's going to kill him. Or there's a mystery third option, which obviously is kill your dad. And he does it. And so then that's sort of like, so that's done, but it's still, it creates all this other stuff that creates an, its own cliffhanger because we don't know, John doesn't know, and he's going to find out and, and maybe that's going to be a thing. And then there's just going to be the way the relationship of everything's going to change between John and Beth and, and Jamie. It's going to be this sort of weird thing. And so like everybody kind of, and then Jimmy leaves the show, which is sort of his tease. It's like, um, there's, it, it's sort of like four or five like little uh, cliffhangers, right? Yeah. So it's a, again, it's sort of a different way to end this fourth season, which is different. And so I, I, I guess on that level, yeah, I really appreciate it that it, that it was different. Um, and I don't necessarily love it, but um, and I don't think it was necessarily a super successful season. But I, um, given the way TV is and, and given the way that the show already has the tendency to be sometimes too melodramatic or too silly, I definitely do appreciate them playing with a little bit more nuance and, and dialing it back a little bit. The one thing I'm very confused on is if these flashbacks to like the 1883-ish timeline, like post-1883, if that actually goes anywhere. Do they keep flashing back? Was there anything else to add or were those just that was it and people are left confused? Well, you might be right about that. I'll definitely say that I'm, I am very, very much appreciate that there wasn't another flashback slash commercial to 1883. Um, <laughs> um, in, so there was only two, I believe, all season, right? I believe there were three. There's definitely two. Well, yeah. two that I can remember, but maybe there was three. But either way, I'm glad we didn't get one. <laughs> and <laughs> I would be, even if it's like a, they just stop, I would be more than happy. And I know just have 1883 on it. Wait, what the hell? You set this up, but like with the no point other than, you know, being a commercial. But at this point, I'll take what I can get. And then I'd I'd rather it just to be fucking gone. I mean, 1883 stands on its own. So it'd be better to just kind of see that journey play out on that show. I think so, right? Like, what's like, I'm honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm pretty sure it is going to be. I don't think there is any point to it other than doing a commercial for it and making people aware of it. And maybe they'll feel like they'll do that again the next season just to keep people wanting to see 1883. But the ratings of 1883 have already been gigantic. Yeah. Like, surprisingly so. Yeah, they're doing um, well. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I guess that's just another thing to mention as you know, Yellowstone is over now, we're going to continue this podcast with, uh, with doing 1883 coverage. And then I guess we'll pause after a little while um, after 1883 is done. And then we'll resume, uh, presumably uh, the next thing we will see will be uh, season five of Yellowstone. Yeah. Unless uh, <laughs> that four sixes or whatever, or something else comes up, but yeah. Wouldn't surprise me if in between there we got a four sixes show, but who knows? We'll we'll see what uh, what however. Yeah, I want to I want to dig into that a little bit more because I'm for sure very very curious because yeah. under Taylor Sheridan's normal 
uh, timeline and his cachet at Paramount Plus, which is higher than anybody else at this point. He's basically, I've said this many times, but he's basically the Martin Scorsese of Paramount Plus, where they basically <laughs> you know, cut him every check he needs and lets green lights everything he does. And, you know, the last thing that we saw, it was announced, I believe, you know, December 2020 was a uh, uh, mayor of Kingstown. And sure enough, like November 2021, it was on the air. So if it follows that pattern, we will see it by sometime late this year. But my guess is the more uh, formally announced Kansas City mob show, that's the one that I think we will see next in terms of like the the Taylor Sheridan lineup of, of what he's producing, what's coming out. I think that's definitely going to be the next thing we see. And yeah. I, my guess is we'll see that like late uh 2022 any predictions for season five before we switch over talking about episode three of 1883 i mean i should have some uh i guess (laughs) i I don't know if i do but i i'm just hoping that what beth did to jamie and 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 how she handled it and the whole thing you know john obviously is is a, a tough man but is also a man of empathy um as he's shown in this episode he's he's a man of antipathy to his enemies and a man of you know empathy to his family and friends and 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 the makeshift family around him right like that that what he did for Jimmy was extremely generous right yeah exactly um and he didn't need to do that uh so uh, on one hand I feel like that's the writers also trying to make him look better but I th- I, I do think he's generally capable of that I think that's we've seen you know the ups and downs of him and I he's very a family loyal kind of person and everybody else is like if you're an enemy then then all bets are off right but yeah. there is a, a moral code when it comes to the family so less of a prediction but more of i'm really hoping that john has issues with what beth did and i hope that comes to a head and i and, and just to, to me like even just like you know the show is about family drama and i would I'm, my real real hope is that's not that that's not overlooked and it does become a, a major thing and because it, what i always like about any of these kinds of things and these shows is that they're rooted in in real human emotion and i know if that situation, no matter what it was, that kind of emotional, horrible kind of blackmail happened in my family, you know, even the the, the lesser, obviously not someone getting killed, but that sort of thing, you know, that, that would be a fucking huge issue to me, you know, that's really kind of nasty and gross and fucked up. So I, I, I'm hoping that's my major thing is I'm, I'm hoping that's followed up on other than anything else that's teased that we talked about. Not really. <laughs> you yeah. know, we'll see where it goes, I guess. Yeah, that's that's the kind of thing is I, I'm still really hooked into this Beth, Jamie, John kind of situation, but the rest of it is kind of like it's it's petered out a bit. A little um, bit, yeah. I might give the season overall something like a B minus or something like that. Yeah. It's a solid B and there's nothing wrong with that. It's still a solid bit of uh, a TV that we get to see here, but maybe less interested in Casey as a character than I was going in, less interested in Monica as a character as I was going in, less interested in, you know, the bunkhouse as I was going in. So, yeah, I mean, those things are there uh, that will continue to develop, but I'm not really excited to see what happens as far as that goes. Well, I mean, that leads to another thing is it's like, doesn't it feel like the show in terms of like, I mean, you just said it and kind of nailed it. Like, doesn't this show feel like in general, it said what it has to say about who it is and and what it is and its characters. And it doesn't feel like it needs to go on for longer than maybe a a season or two more. Yeah. I'm not sure how many seasons he has in mind, but he definitely said he's writing towards a specific ending. So we'll see what that is. Yeah. Because to me, like, I don't know. You got to see this th- season through, but because uh, you've teed up stuff, but like five, maybe end with six, you know? Yeah. And like, like finish up, finish up what you're trying to say 
uh, emotionally and, and about the family in, in season five, and then maybe create a threat during season five that, that comes to a big head in season six and then end it. But that would not feel, does not feel about right without not overstaying your welcome. Yeah. Creatively. Yes. But that's what uh, I mean. the money that they're being thrown at or th- that's being thrown at them, I'm sure might, uh, absolutely convolute like, thing. for me, like, honestly, I'm not these people, but like, you know, that guy's going to be making so much money. Yeah. With all the shows he's doing. So to me, it's like you're already at the point of fuck you money. Right. So like, <laughs> why not? If you've reached that, that, that artistic peak, it's, that's not any different than being Martin Scorsese and getting carte blanche to make whatever he wants to make. Martin Scorsese doesn't have to make any bullshit because he's Martin Scorsese. He's earned that right. Right. He can do whatever. And all his decisions ever now are creative ones right and that goes with all kind of auteurs and paul thomas anderson's of the world and stuff like that once you've reached that kind of level you just do whatever the hell you want and the only thing that's paramount to you is what's creative right and so i would posit that he's at that same level and especially financially and he's gotten there and he can do whatever the hell he wants so wouldn't you want to uh i mean seriously if i was in that position that's how i would treat it i would i would be like i got all the money in the world i, I want this to be respect and I don't want to overdo it. it just seems like six is probably the way to, to, to perfectly end it and I hope they don't keep going to nine ten eleven or whatever just to like just because there's money to be made you don't need to do that when you're making that much money and you got that many shows and that many different creative outlets you know yeah I, I think it's best for him and his career to end it as quickly as possible to to get there not necessarily as quickly as possible but you know n- don't extend it like you were saying to seasons nine ten even eight i think would be too much we'll we'll see you know where this carries him i'm he's got a lot of projects to to worry about so i can't see him wanting to keep all he really does and the other thing is that like you know you'd think by now the telltale sign would be i suppose if you if you if like if you think of like showrunners or producers or whatever phoning it in it's those people who no longer write or direct and they're just their names on it but they they don't they've handed it off to somebody else. Right. And that's definitely not the case with him. I mean, yeah. he no longer directs it. I don't think he directed one episode of season four, but he still writes every single episode. Um, and he was directing up until season three. And, you know, with all these things, you know, that he's got going, I, I think it's completely fair for him to not direct it, but still, I mean, being the sole created writer, he doesn't have a writer's room, like most television, like it's pretty impressive on that level. And it shows that he's still invested in this, you know? Uh, we'll see what happens of it. He's got a lot of plates spinning and I'm sure he's going to have a lot of projects to come that draw a lot of drama and, and uh, hopefully some more acclaim that people are willing to acknowledge because it doesn't seem like anyone wants to really like tip their cap to Yellowstone as it were. Critically, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think some of that is because of what the show is and where yeah. it's set and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the idea that people think it's just like this, you know, quote unquote, red state show and that turns them off. And I also think some of it is slightly earned, like in in that the quality of the show sometimes gets a little, it's not CBS all access, but like it's sometimes reminiscent of mainstream network television that I would never watch because I just Mm. don't like the writing and stuff like that. I think there are hints of certain things like that that remind me of, of network television shows that like, that I just could never bear to sit through. Yeah. And that we don't cover on the site because it's it's just like, it's not, it's not to that level. You know, there's a, there's a, a I feel like there's always been a, a quality control uh, of what we cover on the site and, and what we like. And, you know, like we don't cover CW superhero stuff because that stuff in my mind is, is 
pretty fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> so there's always been uh, a line about not just covering stuff that's like popular, covering stuff that's that's interesting. And and for and for me, you know, as the one who sort of spurned this on because I was like Charles was the one who told me that you were into it. And, mm-hmm. and like I think I pretty much had the same attitude about the show as as the people were discussing until I finally saw it. You know, of course, and yeah, same. Like, oh wow, this is pretty interesting, and there's a lot of good stuff in there. But it does have, I think, there's a, a small percentage of it that can be sometimes slightly earned of people turning their nose up on. It. But again, uh, maybe a big percentage of those people just don't watch it. There's also the thing is like I think we're catching on to this show. You know, we're we just started this podcast, right? We started mm-hmm. a Yellowstoners podcast in season four. Yellowstone um, is, you know, it's got its own podcast now, right? They've started their own podcast. And I feel like that's the, the thing that sort of kind of worries me is it's sort of taking on a new life, right? Like people like ourselves who would normally not touch the show have come on board. Does that extend the shelf life of the show for seasons beyond uh, beyond that, that it could sustain itself creatively? Should have Yellowstone been a six season show and now because it's starting to gain a little bit more attention um, and building up all these other things, like there's an after show, there's a podcast, there's all this stuff. Maybe it's going to stay for a lot longer, right? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, if not, they certainly could live on through the spinoffs, which maybe yeah. Taylor's intention is that we need to end this when we need to end this, but we'll still have Yellowstone content. And 1883 so far has been a really interesting show in that there's not really anything like it on TV nowadays. It's a full-on Western, but with, you know, kind of like a modern taste and spin to it. And obviously it's got Taylor's voice to it. So far, I think it's been really interesting. I know as far as the the episode we're discussing today, episode three, it's maybe less dramatic and there aren't as many huge events that happen within the, the episode itself, but still overall, the the vibe of the show and the performances on the show and the characters in the show I really enjoy. Yeah, I mean, in fact, to that end, um, by the way, good segue into 1883. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I really enjoy that there's no, there's no crime element. There's no, like, it's a different narrative, right? It's a different journey. It's a different thing. Um, and in, in that sense, it's, uh, I mean, basically maybe the best way to explain the show is it's uh, humans against the elements in a way, right? And those yep. elements could be other humans as well, as well, but it's like, it's a different thing. It's not trying to protect a throne. It's, I guess, the the, the prequel to like building a throne, right? Um, and and, it, it, and it's way, way, way before that throne is ever established. So it's, it's, a, it's a completely different journey. It's more of a, a human story. It's more about travails, right? Human travails and, and, and like, the things that people had to go through to survive. If it's more muted in that sense, in terms of less uh, big, gigantic, melodramatic things, I'm okay with it so far because it just feels like uh, emotionally rich and emotionally dramatic shows don't need any of that stuff because that because the emotional drama can be just as big um, and these situations can be just as big as, you know, a caravan of fucking trucks coming to kill you or whatever, you know? <laughs> It, just with it being a Western, there's probably going to be a lot of high dramatic moments. But I think, he, yeah, I think the character moments are very interesting overall and in what they're doing with the characters just over three episodes. The first two episodes covered so much ground that this one yeah. almost felt kind of silent, you know? Um, yeah, it was a little bit more of a subdued thing, but 
Um, yeah, people dying still left and right at the beginning. Right. And, you know, there were some disagreements with James and, and the Shea character. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's it's a lot to discuss as far as, you know, the, the first two episodes go. To me, the, the, the major thing, I, it's been a while since I've seen that third episode, but the, the, the biggest takeaway I have of remembering its main kind of storylines was that, you know, Tim McGraw, James Dutton was sort of butting heads with uh, Shea Brennan. And yeah. then uh, the East Patton. versus West of it all, they, uh, of where they take the caravan. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then um, the sort of growing romance between Elsa Dutton, played by Isabel May, and Ennis, played by Eric Nelson, who we're going to have an interview with shortly. Yes. Um, that's sort of the, the two main things that I remember. And I suppose this caravan of Europeans was having a, a bit of its own kind of like... Yes, there's a, a, a Romani woman that's introduced whose husband was killed yeah. um, by bandits in episode two, and they're just trying to help her out, as it were. And, and all of a sudden, you know, we're drawn into her stuff was stolen. And there's this group of, of men that they need to kick out. Shay lets them live, even though he knows that's probably going to come back and bite him in the ass. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that will come up in, in future episodes as far as those guys trying to, you know, either come back into the group or, you know, steal a bunch of stuff and kill a bunch of people. Yeah, for sure. And and what the, 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 the setup of the show feels, what's cool about it is it's like, Okay, it's basically a family and this a wagon hand or whatever, him and his guy, and they're taking this uh, European uh, immigrants across the country back in 1883, which is like, yeah, perilous. So it feels like in terms of just the the writing and what could be the possible things that the the issues they have to face, it sort of feels like endless and also organic, you know, not endless in a way that, oh my God, now fucking this happens like it it feels like no like i i I would believe that there's a new threat each episode whether it's a polio outbreak this episode or there's like you know they come across some fucking bad guys or you know there's just a million things out there that that they basically want to fucking kill them right just the environment it feels rich in that regard with lots of possibilities in a way that doesn't feel forced or manipulative yeah. And there's also that end game that they teed up at the very first episode with uh, kind of like a slaughter at the hands of a native tribe that right. uh, just kind of takes out the caravan. So who knows when that pops up? Right. That's true. That's a, a, this major thing that a big uh, attack on the on the caravan is coming. You're right. That's like a, a that was a pretty cool device to set up the whole show, even though it's kind of like, wait, when are they going to address this? But like, <laughs> yeah, to me, it's probably... It's, like, I don't know if it's 10 episodes, it's probably like episode eight or nine or something like that, like kind of teeing up this major thing. And in the end of this episode, I mean, uh, Shay decides to go with James's instinct. They decide to go west, despite probably, you know, losing a lot of stuff crossing the river. I don't think they showed that quite yet. Obviously, west is is where a lot of native tribes are sitting. So they're certainly going into that area as far as the, you know, that journey goes. And then, yeah, so they're getting back on the road, as it were, and along for the journey. And uh, we'll see what happens when they cross the river. Yeah, I think there's, it's, it's so far, it's pretty solid, good setup, good characters. All right. Well, uh, let's throw it over to the interview we have, the last piece of the episode, my conversation with the very charming Eric Nelson. As always, keep on Yellowstone and folks. Well, I, I mean, I guess, you know, first of all, I just want to thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Um, and oh, 
I've I'm seen the first. Here. Oh, good, good. Thanks. <laughs> I've seen the first three of of 1883, so a little more than people have seen. Um, more than I've seen. More than you've seen, even. Ooh, yeah. Look at me. Um, <laughs> but even like, I mean, you're introduced in the first episode, but you really like instantly are charming right off the bat. So obviously, well done there. But I'd I'd love to just start off by, you know, talking about how this came to you. I know we were talking before about how it it was kind of kismet between you, you moving to Fort Worth and then Taylor reaching out. Did you audition beforehand? Were you pursuing this at all before that even happened? No, it's interesting. It's like, it's just one of those, the stars aligned and you just realize you're in the right place and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing because it all just kind of fit together for me on this. No, my wife and I, at the very top of COVID, decided to move to Fort Worth to be by family, to kind of get out of the scariness of LA at the time. And, you know, we had just had our daughter. So uh, we wanted to, um, you know, just kind of protect her and, and be close to family and kind of ride it out. Um, so we, we got a house in Fort Worth. And with all, you know, for all intents and purposes, I, I knew that jobs would be coming up and I would just either fly to New York or I'd fly to LA and then I would just centrally locate out of Fort Worth and just kind of make it work from there for as long as I could anyway, because we really enjoyed being by the family. And then uh, about a year of us being in Fort Worth with obviously no work happening because it was the heart of the pandemic, everything was shut down. I get the script for 1883 across my desk and right away I was just what can I do to get involved in this project? Because I saw Taylor was attached and um, eventually I kind of pieced it together that it was the prequel to Yellowstone, which I was a massive fan of. And then I sent in a tape, which is funny because originally they had me tape for the role of Wade, which is kind mm. of my, my counterpart on the yeah, show. Yeah, your buddy. Yeah, my buddy, my cowboy buddy. And um, they wrote right back and they were like, you know, he's, he's not right for Wade, but we love him. Would he please tape for the role of Ennis? And, um, and they wrote back like almost immediately. I think it was the same day I sent in my tape. So I was like, okay, they're definitely interested because it normally doesn't happen so fast. Um, so then I, I, I taped for the role of Ennis and I feel like, again, it was like the very next day they, uh, basically were like, we want to hold him. We love him for the show. Don't take any other jobs and we're going to get back to you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Then roll the clock forward a little bit. I get a call out of the blue from Taylor Sheridan. Well, first my agent texts me freaking out. She's like, Taylor just asked for your phone number. Um, um, I just gave it to him. I didn't, I I figured that'd be okay with you. I was like, that's a okay with me. Uh, (laughs) He can call me whenever he wants. And so he calls me basically to tell me I got the job. uh, But also to say, to ask, uh, he's like, so I hear you, you moved to Fort Worth. Yeah, you know, I, we moved there. You know, I told him the story. You know, I had been in New York 10 years before that in LA for about five or six. And uh, he's like, well, where, where, where in Fort Worth? And I was like, are you familiar with the town? He's like, very. So I tell him exactly where my house is because that's what he wanted. And he, he goes, you're going to be 10 minutes from where we're going to be filming most of your stuff. And I about fell out of my chair because, yeah. you know, the odds of that happening I knew it was going to film in Texas, but even filming in Texas, it could be 12 hours from where I live. It could be further than LA to, to Texas on a flight. <laughs> um, so I, my, my hopes weren't that high, but I was eager at the chance to even work anywhere in Texas. And then when I found out it was going to be down the block and across the street from where my rehearsal dinner was for my wedding, it was just like so many stars aligned on it. And I was just, 
it through the moon. Yeah. I just couldn't couldn't believe it. So happy. Sleep in my own bed basically most of the shoot. Yeah. Um, uh, did you have all your co-stars like glaring at you because you could just ride home and, and just oh have the family time? <laughs> hated me. <laughs> yeah. But it was also nice because they got to get to know my family and stuff. It, I'd have them over to the house and oh that's awesome. Uh, you, you know, so I got to kind of show them around my town and, you know, where, where I'm living and they got to meet a lot of my, my in-laws and such too. So it, it did bring another element of fun to the whole behind the scenes of filming for the most part. Yeah. They were pretty envious of the fact I got to snuggle up in my own bed each night. <laughs> and, and you're like, before you got the part, you, like you said, you'd been acting since, you know, you were a kid, but you mm-hmm. kind of cut your teeth and and popped on the rough and tumble world of soap opera acting which mm-hmm. is like acrobatics almost the pace of films and the memorization that's required. It's, it's really like acting school for a lot of people and, and something that a lot of actors really look back kind of like with a, how the hell did I do that kind of awe? How would you say that prepares you for, for roles like this where it's uh, probably a little different? Yeah. You know, it's interesting you ask that because I say the same thing to so many people, you know, the training you get on daytime TV is unlike anything you'll ever experience anywhere in your career. It really makes you think quick and fast. And, you know, when I was doing all my children, for instance, I was memorizing, we would film a hundred pages a day and I would have to memorize about 30 pages of my own dialogue a day. And when you're in that mode and you're, you know, your memory is like a muscle, you know, the more you work out, your biceps going to get bigger and stronger. And that's just what happens to your, your memory when you're doing that every day, day in and day out. So it was crazy. Like I would go out to restaurants, look at the menu and be able to recite everything that I saw on the menu without ever having to look <laughs> at it again. Cause I was just in such that mode for so long. And they're like, um, do you want to work here or uh, <laughs> no? okay. Yeah, man, exactly. <laughs> and you know, we're getting like one take per, you know, one chance at each scene. Uh, so, you know, makes you quick on your feet, makes you have to pull out, you know, all your stops and, and choices as an actor, the first go around. So it, to me was the best training and experience I ever could have had as an actor. As far as, you know, I I spoke with uh, Jefferson White, who you know as well. Um, And he hadn't so much as as touched a horse, you know, before he started (laughs) playing uh, Jimmy on Yellowstone. So that kind of worked out for his character, but you kind of have to know your way around a horse or or at least look like it. How much Mm. had you kind of been with horses or done any cowboy training up until that point? Uh, well, first of all, shout out to Jeff White. I love him so much. We recently guy. got to film a couple of Ram commercials together and that was a blast. And we, we've become really close friends since then. So just love him to death. So happy for his success. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. So both my parents were horse people. Uh, my dad trained thoroughbred polo horses his most of his life. And my mom showed horses and we mm-hmm. owned them and such. So I was very familiar with the world uh, and the culture. Uh, but I think because they were so into horses, it kind of made me go a different direction. You know, I yeah. wanted my own thing. So I was playing hockey and, you know, other things. Um, so I wasn't as experienced as I wish I would have been coming into this. But that being said, I had ridden, I knew how to ride. And Taylor actually sent us lead actors to a cowboy camp before filming started. So I had weeks of training um, all day, every day, riding horses, cutting cattle, roping, shooting, you know, everything a cowboy has to do, especially on our show, we were doing day in and day out. Uh, For me, it was three weeks uh, before starting filming, which truly was the 
biggest blessing I could have gotten as an actor to just immerse ourselves in all of that before filming, because that was the last thing on our mind when we got in front of the camera, which it very easily could have been at the forefront of our mind the whole time shooting if we weren't comfortable, you know, on a horse pushing cattle through a stream or a river or up and down mountains, you know, we have to do some crazy stuff on these horses in this show. So for us not to be able to worry about that when filming came and already have had all that under our hats, so to speak, was a huge blessing as an actor. And, uh, you know, my my level of cowboy, which I thought was fairly decent, uh, was proven to be pretty low when we got into the thick of training. So <laughs> very grateful for that time. Uh, and now I got to top that by saying, and now I'm completely in love. I called both parents after day one awesome. of cowboy camp saying, oh my God, I don't know why it took so long to get into this. And now all I ever want to do is ride. And, you know, I'm, it's going to be a long life passion of mine from here on out. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's talk about some of your your co-stars here. I mean, a lot of your character, at least initially, the chemistry between you and uh, Isabel May, who who plays Elsa Elsa Dutton, your your chemistry is just kind of like off the charts instantly. How long did it take to dial that in, or was that just like you guys stepped in and it was it was there? You know, uh, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. We've we've had so much fun together, and she's just such a blast to work with, and you know, truly one of the most intelligent human beings I've ever met in my life and so talented. It's insane. It, it was pretty instant as far as, you know, chemistry goes, you know, she's easy to love. She's a fun, mm-hmm. outgoing girl. And again, I think having had that time together, because we spent every day in cowboy camp together as well. And, you know, we're, we're busting our asses all day, every day in the Texas summer heat, it's 110 degrees out there. Uh, so we're connecting on the level of let's just get through this alive kind of, you know, we, we can support each other through this. Uh, so, you know, having that training together and, and going through uh, the experience of that, I think really helped develop our, you know, off-screen relationship and friendship. And so, you know, having had all that time, I think just, just brought that much more uh, to when we started filming. So it was pretty instant, but, you know, we got weeks of, of being able to hang out and work hard together and support each other and encourage each other and motivate each other before the cameras were rolling, uh, which helped immensely. I imagine that cowboy camp was a huge blessing for a lot of people, you know, just getting to know each other and, and really getting comfortable with one another. It really was. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face, but so grateful for Taylor for giving us that chance and opportunity. Yeah. And and you also get to to act opposite, you know, the Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Sam Elliott, all these big names that are leads on the show. What's it like working with them? And uh, obviously, uh, everybody wants to know, is Sam's mustache even better in person? Because I would assume that it is. <laughs> it is. And like the first couple of days of meeting him and talking to him, I'm just I feel like I'm just staring at it, you know, <laughs> just like lost in the stash. Uh, but it's just it's, you know, it's so iconic. So it's hard not to be. Uh, but, you know, these these legends and these actors, your whole life, you idolize them and you watch them in movies and you listen to their music and you're just such a fan. And so you just pray and hope that they're going to be just as great as you've always imagined them to be in your mind in real life. And with our group, I can say without a hesitation, they're the greatest people in the world. I mean, the most giving, loving human beings I've ever worked with. Um, we're truly like a family on and off set. Sam is so giving as a, as an individual, there's a, there's a great story I'll share with you real quick that, that just showed me who his character was day one of working with him. 
uh, we're in a saloon in Granbury, Texas, filming uh, my scene in episode one, where we're at the table and they're trying to convince us to come work with them and help them on their journey. And at the top of the scene, I don't know if it got cut or not, but uh, this young girl who's the waitress is supposed to come over. She was an extra and fill up all of our water cups. And that was her one job. And then she'd walk out. She was so nervous to be, you know, meeting Sam, first of all, and being in the scene with him and, and you know, having this this big, you know, task at the top of the scene, although it, it seemed like a small, simple thing to somebody who's not in this world often. It's it's a big ask. First take out the gate. She comes pours all the waters and spills it all over the table. Sam gets wet. We all get wet. It's, you know, the look on her face and she was shaking and trembling and just like, I felt so bad for the girl. She starts crying, sobbing, because she just, she feels like she ruined everything. And we were about to roll another one and Sam stops the cameras and he's like, no, 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 just give me a minute. He walks up to the girl. He gives her the biggest hug I've ever seen somebody give somebody and talks to her for probably 10, 15 minutes. Like nobody else was in the room. She comes back with the biggest smile on her face, nails it every single time, is calm, collected. And I was like, Sam, what did you what did you say to her? And he's like, oh, I just, you know, I wanted to make sure she felt comfortable and she knew we were all in this together. And, you know, how much I appreciate her role in this. And, you know, he just went out of his way to make this girl that has seemingly little of a part she comes in pours water and that's it made her feel so special and like she was just a part of our our gang and our tribe and that's the kind of guy sam is he has a heart of gold and really goes out of his way to make sure others are happy and that was my first experience with him and i was like okay i love you forever let's rock and roll this thing (laughs) yeah that's amazing sam fucking elliot and, and we're also like huge fans of Taylor Sheridan, like most people these days at the playlist, having seen, you know, all types of scripts, what do you think makes his writing so unique and, and strong just to understand that you're getting something special every time you, you read a script of his? Oh, it's just such a privilege to be able to even read a script of his, let alone act in something, you know, before you even open your mouth as an actor, everything's done for you. His descriptions, his, uh, you know, he just gets so texturally involved in what he writes that you see the whole movie before you even open your mouth to say a word. And that's what is so special um, because for the actor, our, the work for us is done. I mean, it's all in the text. If we can just say the lines, it's going to be magic because of just how brilliantly they are written. And, uh, you know, he just brings it to life for you in such a way as well. Um, you know, even even the, the stuff you don't read uh, or you don't hear us say, all oh, the beautiful scenery and what happens between the lines, that's all written out as well. And so you just, the best way I can say, it's like you see the whole movie before you even hear a line. And as an actor, you rarely get that. The only downside to that is now I've read three scripts since reading <laughs> this and they all sounded and read terrible to me, Yeah, <laughs> you know, cause it's just not, you, it's not on par. Uh, so he's, he's kind of ruined me. I think, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I can only look for like the best now and you know, what a, what a privilege to be able to even say something like that. But you know, yeah. that's, that's his magic and his gift to, to the world. And so grateful to be a small part of it. Yeah. We were just talking last week about what is this man's breaking point? Because he has what, three shows, maybe a fourth on the way he's writing, he's directing, he's producing. How does it, does he seem calm on set or is he like doing a million things at once? 
he is so calm and so engaged. I mean, even going as far back as cowboy camp, every single day, there wasn't one thing we all did that he didn't do right next to us. If we're sweating in the, the sun for 10 hours a day on horseback, he's there too. So there's never a moment we can complain because he's doing all of it with us and still writing and still producing and still directing and getting up at 4 a.m. to push all the cattle that he owns across his farm to make sure that <laughs> they're taken care of and has his son and his wife on set all day, every day, attending to their needs. I mean, the guy never stops, but when he's with you and he's you're with him, he's w engaged 100%. And I don't know how he does it, but he's on another level and he gets it all done perfectly. So it's just, I don't, I'm convinced he's not human actually. Yeah. Maybe that's just what it is. Uh, he's from <laughs> another planet. <laughs> so far there's, there's evidence to prove that. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree with you. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> and, and you alluded to this earlier. Usually I, I like watch screeners or whatever, but I've been watching, you know, some of the things either on Paramount plus or the Paramount network. And you see these commercials that are built specifically for Yellowstone fans. You're obviously, like you were saying, you're in one of them in the Dodge Ram commercials. How do these come about? And when you're with, you know, Jefferson, who also plays like this kind of dumb but lovable charmer of, the, of his show, does mm -hmm. he give you any advice with that? Do you ask for any advice with that? Or do you feel comfortable in, in where you are? Uh, no, I asked him a million questions, to be honest, because, nice. you know, he's been in this world for a few years now, and I'm just I'm just stepping into it. So, no, I asked him questions about Taylor and about, you know, everything that he's been through on the show. And because uh, I'm genuinely curious and I, I genuinely hope to be in Taylor's circle for a long time. So, you know, these were all things I was just grateful to be able to ask somebody. Um, <laughs> and Jefferson's so kind and giving and just the nicest guy ever. So he was, you know, so open to sharing. And, you know, I shared stories too. He asked a million questions about 1883 because, um, you know, f for him, he just heard about it so much, but didn't really know the inside scoop. And so I think we both were able to share a lot of insightful information to each other that helped us and, you know, made us feel a little more um, at home together. Cause I feel like we're, you know, in a way part of the same family. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just kind of kicked off our, our relationship in chemistry pretty quickly. That's awesome. I do have one more question that we ask everyone that's on Yellowstone. I have to know who's your favorite Dutton. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> Has, oh, that's like on the spot. Well, I'll tell you, my character's favorite is Elsa at this moment in time. Of course, of course. And ugh, they're all so great, man. I don't know how to choose. Uh, definitely would want Rip in my corner because he'd beat anyone up. I couldn't. Of course. And, and he's an honorary Dutton at this point. He's pretty much yeah, as Dutton like as you can get. I feel like you have to consider him a Dutton. Yeah. I'd say those two. Nothing wrong with that. Completely right. I'm just going to say Beth is amazing. You know, there's, it's not that you're wrong, but you're wrong. I'm just saying you're wrong. <laughs> no, I know. And the, the minute you said that is the minute I was like, I don't even count her because I feel like that's a no brainer. You know, I feel yeah. like that's everybody's number one choice. And obviously it would be mine because she's the most baddest character in TV history. So I didn't even mentally go there because I just know that that's, that's a given. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you for, for giving me the time. Uh, 1883 is spectacular and I can't wait to see what happens with Ennis and what happens, you know, overall on the show. It's, it's got me hooked already. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for today. Really enjoy your show and happy to be on it, man. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Have a good one, Eric. You too, brother. Mm -hmm.